But uh, before we do, and before I tell you how we're going to interact with it, let me bow and have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll jump into our teaching time. Hey, God, thanks for each and every person that's here, and I know that there's things that you want each and every one of us to know, to learn about you, about ourselves, to show us, to teach us, to convict us. So help us to be open to that and uh, help me to just be the communicator and the mouthpiece for you. We thank you for your love for us through your son, Jesus. Amen. I want you to take your white sheet of paper and just turn it over on the back to start off with. And I want you to write down the top three, in your opinion, the top three common New Year's resolutions. All right, not necessarily yours, just the most common ones, just the top three. What you think the top three would be. Take 20 seconds and write down the big three in your opinion. All right, you got it? Now, I did some research on the internet, so you know it has to be true if it's on the internet, right? And uh, this is what they said, according to Google, were the most common New Year's resolutions. Uh, Number 10, spend more time with family. Nine, fall in love. Uh, Some of you are laughing about that. Uh, Number eight, help others in their dreams. I thought that one was kind of interesting. Seven, quit smoking. Six, learn something exciting. Five, staying fit and healthy. Four, enjoy life to the fullest. Three, spend less, save more. Two, getting organized. And number one, lose weight. So how did you do on that? Yeah, it's, it's, you probably think the, the losing weight and the saving money and exercising, and those are all pretty common things. Now, the interesting thing about New Year's resolutions is we know that a lot of people make them, but by about January 10th, we've just kind of scrapped them, right? Most people just scrapped the whole idea. You're like, screw it. I'm just going back to 2012's plan and just going to do it the way, I, the way I did it before. And so I, I was thinking about why that is the case. And I'm sure there are a lot of reasons of why New Year's resolutions don't work. But I want to point out two of them uh, this morning. These are not the only two. These are just two that, that came to mind for me. One reason that New Year's resolutions don't work is because lack of a plan. I think many times we don't have a plan. We want to lose 25 pounds, but we really don't have any kind of plan that we're going to lose it, or we're going to start exercising, or we're going to do something different. Some kind of idea that we think, you know, of of one of those, I'm going to do those, and I'm just hoping that somehow through osmosis and involuntarily, it just kind of happens. And so therefore, Somewhere along the way, within a few days or a couple of weeks when it's not happening, we're like, oh, okay, well, that, I'm just, I'm just going to give up on it because we don't have a plan. So I found this quote, uh, which I heard it on television, and then I had to go find out. It's by a, a Frenchman named Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, but he says, a goal without a plan is a wish. And I thought, that's pretty good because a lot of us have goals, but... Our failure to have a plan 
kind of short circuits the goal, and so then it just becomes a wish. And in many ways, New Year's resolutions for a lot of us are just these goals that we have that never end up happening because we have no uh, we have no plan to make them happen. So that's one reason that New Year's resolutions never work is there's no plan. The second reason or a second reason is the principle of investments. Okay, this is the principle of investments. Small investments over time have a cumulative value. Small investments over time have accumulative value. Now, we may look at that and, and try to, to think about it, but, but you already really know that it works. If you're going to lose weight, you know how to make that happen. I mean, the, the, the idea that we give up on losing weight, but we know if we reduce our calories, reduce our intake, then we will achieve over time um, losing weight. Now, we also know that it doesn't work because if you decide you want to lose 25 pounds, not eating for the next three weeks is probably not going to reach your goal, right? Because you think, I just won't eat anything for three weeks and then I can lose 25 pounds. We all go, okay, that's not going to really work. Or if you want to train for a marathon, you think, well, um, I'll just start today and I'll go out and run 26 miles. And that way I'm, you know, I'll be ready for it next week when it starts. You know that that doesn't work, right? Because those are large investments over hardly any time and they have hardly any accumulative value. But small investments, if you make them over periods of time, add up and do have this accumulative value. So that's another reason why our New Year's resolutions don't work, is because we don't make the small investments over time, and therefore we don't see the accumulative value. Now, why, are these, why is that principle important? And why is the lack of a plan important? Because both of these concepts are also true in our spiritual lives. And that's what I want us to focus on today. We talk about New Year's resolutions in the sense of losing weight and stopping this and starting this. But, but when it comes to our growth, our relationship with God, the very same principles and the very same problems wreak havoc into our own lives and keep us from growing and keep us staying exactly where we were this past year and the year before and the year before. So we're going to look at a passage in the book of Philippians this morning. So if you brought a Bible, open it up. If not, we'll have it on the screen. Or if you do Bible on your smartphone, fire it up and turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to see a passage where Paul talks about the spiritual growth of the people that he's writing to. And let me give you a little background about the book of Philippians. It was written, it was really a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to people that were living in this town called Philippi, the city, and they were going to church there. There was a church in Philippi, and Paul had spent time there. And during this time when he's writing it, he is most likely in prison. So he had spent time there. He's coming to the very end of his life and realizing that there's probably not, not much more time for him. And so this is a little bit of a reflection, and the big theme for the book is is joy and peace in, in, in light of all the other things that are going on in his life. So that gives you a little snapshot. So we're going to look in Philippians chapter 2, look at a couple verses, and we're just going to pick this apart and unpack it and see what it has to do with us and spiritual growth in this coming new year. We start in verse 12. We read, 
Paul says, therefore, and when he says therefore, that's a reference to all the things that he's just talked about at the beginning of the chapter, which was how to be like Christ, how to model Christ, how to do the things that Jesus did when he was on this earth. And he says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So Paul is writing this, like I said, from prison, and he's not there any longer. And he had spent time with these people at this church in Philippi, and he had taught them what it means to follow Christ. He had shared with them. They had watched him do it. But now he's not there, and his concern is, when I'm not there, are you still going to be able to do everything with the same intensity without me being there that you did while I was there? Now, we understand that because if you're in when you're in school, if you think about the things that you did when the teacher was in the room and then the things that you did when the teacher wasn't in the room, or I had a part-time job when I was in high school, I worked at a drugstore, and uh, the things that we would do in the back room when the boss wasn't there, and then the things that we would do in the back room when the boss was there, you, we kind of understand how that works as human beings, right? That, that if there's somebody that's supposed to be in charge and over us, we tend to like, you know, shape up and do it ride and do what we're supposed to. And then when that authority figure kind of walks away, we tend to go, oh, okay, well, we don't really have to do that anymore because they're not here and they're not watching us and there's no one to get us in trouble. And so that's just kind of human nature. Well, Paul is is talking to these Christians and saying, my concern is after I leave that you're going to slip back into all the things that you did before and not follow Christ with the same intensity that you had before. So Paul understood that. So He goes on in the second part of verse 12 and tells us, Therefore, my dear brothers, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, which I think is a call to action that Paul is talking about. Now, now don't misunderstand. He's not saying that our salvation, our eternal life, our faith is based on our works. That's not what he's saying. It's not that, that we earn our way of being accepted by God. That's not what he's saying at all. And in fact, Paul is telling us the importance of growing and maturing now that we have a relationship with Christ. And if I could put it in, a, in kind of a real world, modern day analogy, I, I was thinking of the basketball player that signs with Coach Crean to play for IU, and you think of all the hard work and everything that he does, and you have a young man, he's 18 years old, he signs to go play basketball at Indiana, you, you could think that he could possibly think to himself, you know what, I never really have to practice basketball another day of my life, because I have finally made it, I am now an Indiana basketball player. So, I don't have to practice, I don't have to work hard anymore, because... I'm good. I made it. I'm on the team. And we would look at that and go, no, 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 no. That, like, it's only beginning, right? It's only starting. Because when Coach Crean recruits a player, he recruits him and puts him on the team, but he sees the potential and he is anticipating the work and is he anticipating the practice and where that player can ultimately be. Now, I want you to think of that in the same terms of your spiritual life, because many times we think of, okay, you know, I'm right with God, I've, you know, I've done the accepting Christ, baptized, you know, I've done all that, and then we tend to go, okay, I'm good, I'm good, just going to cruise now, you know, I'm totally good, got that all taken care of, 
And in that passage, I read Paul saying, no, 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 no. That is not the way it is. You're at, at the beginning of this journey of now working out your salvation. Your salvation is not in jeopardy, but this is the beginning of you growing and maturing and becoming more like Christ. And then he says to do that, which is interesting, with fear and trembling. I think that's interesting that he says that with fear and trembling. Because I think Paul says that because he wants us to see the seriousness of our spiritual journey. He wants us to understand the importance of it with fear and trembling. When I think of fear and trembling, I think of when I get pulled over by a police officer, like for disobeying a traffic law. In fact, um, last March, we were in Shelbyville, Indiana for the basketball regionals, and uh, uh, I got pulled over in our, we have a full-size van, and it was in full of an, all my family members, and one of Shelbyville's finest pulled us over. And, uh, you know, so I immediately put it into, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir. You know, I put it into that mode. Well, my wife was in the back, and she tries to start joking with the police officer. <laughs> And it doesn't work real well. You know, those guys are pretty serious. And she's trying to make comments, which he's only hearing part of uh, the heckling going on in the back. And so he starts asking me, why, why are they, do they think it's funny back there? And I'm like, no, sir, they do not think it's funny at all. I, I don't know why they would think that, sir. And so he walks away, and I'm turning around looking at my wife, and I'm like, you, be quiet. Don't say another word. I totally have this. And... So when I hear the word fear and trembling, I think, okay, when a police officer comes to your window, you're like, okay, yes, sir. You know, you give him ultimate respect because you realize this is pretty serious and the way I behave and the way I interact is pretty important right now. And so Paul says when you work out your salvation, you're to take it with that seriousness, that it's not something that it's just flipping. It's not something you go, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's just, you know, it's no big deal. Paul is saying, no, no, it is a pretty big deal. And here's why it's a big deal. Because eternity for you and maybe for other people hinges on how you work out your salvation. Because I, I think one day we will get to heaven and there will be people that will be there and they may say, you know what? You made a difference in, in my life. You were there at this point. You helped me in this way. And we will go, wow, really? I had, I had no idea. And, and when we're totally flipping about our walk with Christ, with our witness, with how we live, we miss opportunities that God may put in front of us for other people to understand God's love and grace and mercy and see that witness through us if we really don't take that very seriously. Verse 13, he goes on to say, for it is God who works in you. Now the secret to success and spiritual growth is not in our abilities, it's in Christ's abilities in us. Some of you may remember this Gatorade ad that they did many years ago. And they had Michael Jordan, they had some other ones in there. But the idea was people were drinking Gatorade and whatever color the Gatorade was that went in, when they sweat, then that color of Gatorade came out. So there was, a, I remember a girl playing tennis and she was sweating purple. And, you know, a guy's playing soccer and he's sweating in a fruit punch color. And so in this one, if you can't see it real well, Michael Jordan is sweating uh, Gatorade. But the whole idea is the Gatorade goes in you, and when the Gatorade goes in you, that is what's in you and what it comes out of you. 
Now, that's a beautiful concept to think of spiritually, that, that we're, we're fueled and powered by God living in us, so what is in us then comes out of us. And so that's why Paul says, for it is God who works in you. In the Old Testament, God lived in a tabernacle, lived in a building, in a tent, and, and there was this, this big cloud that was over it. But in the New Testament, after Jesus came, he said, no, Jesus said, I am sending the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in you. So Paul is saying, it's God's power. You are powered and fueled by God, not by your own power. Because the reason that New Year's resolutions don't work is because we just get bored and tired and, you know, can't stick to it. But he's saying, no, 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 no. Your spiritual growth is powered by something much more powerful than your own willpower. It's powered by who God is, and God fuels that. And then he goes on to the very end of that passage. Say, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. So the key to success is relying on God and leveraging his power. About two weeks ago, we started this little remodel job in our house, uh, in the kitchen. We knocking out some walls, and so we have to build a header, and we've got to do a little electrical work. And uh, I have uh, a friend who's been a mentor in my life for 25 years, and he's really good at those kinds of things. He lives in the Fort Wayne area, so he came down and wanted to help, and I'm like, great, because I can do anything you tell me to do, but I don't. Like when we're removing walls that are supporting the upstairs, I'm thinking if I do this myself, like the upstairs is going to cave in. And so I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'll do anything that he tells me to do. So uh, he brings all of his tools in, which he has a lot of really cool tools. And one of the coolest things he brought was a pneumatic nail gun. Now, all the guys are like, yeah, uh, yeah, pneumatic nail gun, because it's a real manly kind of thing. And like, I look at this nail gun, go to that picture, Keaton. And uh, this thing is, is a total beast. I mean, he's got the air compressor and he runs the, the hose to it. And this thing shoots, shoots nails like four inches into wood. I mean, it's just like, bam! And it's just there. I mean, it, it's a little shocking if you're not used to it. You're like, Really? You just shot the nail like all the way through there? Because, you know, I'm used to the old time, you know, we get the nail and we hold it there and you're like, tink, 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 ow! And you're like, oh. So, like, I'm thinking that's the way we're going to do it. No, he's like going, bam, 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 bam. And I'm like, wow, this thing is like very cool. Very, very cool. So, here's the analogy the hammer is you, okay? The nail gun is God in you. So you can go around like going tink, 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 hitting your thumb. Or God has built in this beautiful power within you to be like a pneumatic nail gun. And you can go into the world and you have this incredible power inside of you that God has wired for you to have. So it takes both. It takes you and God and God powering through you for spiritual growth. Now, I want to challenge you in four different areas for 2013. And those are on your sheet. And we're going to go through those four areas. And I'm going to explain them each one briefly. And then, after that, I'm going to go through and give you a little time. And ask you to take some time and think about each one. And maybe fill in that space below. These are not like the only four areas that I think uh, that someone should work on. But these are four areas that... God challenged me with, and I want to share them with you. First challenge I want to set, ask you to do is set a goal 
and a plan for spiritual disciplines in 2013. Spiritual disciplines. Now, what are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines are things like reading your Bible and praying and fasting and journaling and spending time alone. Those are, those are all things. Anything that would help you grow uh, in your walk with God and spend time with him. Now, sometimes at Exodus, we call that hear and respond. That's another word that we use, and Matt talks about that a lot. So how do you hear and how do you respond? How do I know God? How do I recognize God's voice? Well, the more that you grow in spiritual disciplines, the more that you will be able to hear God's voice and respond to him. So I want to challenge you to do those things. Because the principle that we talked about earlier, remember small investments over time have an accumulative value. So I want to challenge you in spiritual disciplines. The second area, I want to challenge you to make a plan for community. Now, sometimes in Exodus speak, we call that life together, community. But God designed you and wired you to experience life and growth in Christ with other people, not on an island, not by yourself, but with other people, people that you get to know, people that you have friendships with, relationships with, people that get to know on a, on a deeper level. Some of you are involved in life groups, groups that, that meet on some periodic basis, and some of those are social reasons, some of those are reasons where you get to, to uh, interact and learn together, but, but you need other people in your life. And I want to challenge you to figure out a way to make sure that you are in a community with spiritual friends and mentors this coming year because you have to have that. You have to have that through the good times. You have to have it through the bad times. You have to have it through the the hills and the valleys. And so I want to encourage you to take that on this year and you need a plan. It just is not going to happen. So the third area is set a goal and make a plan for spiritual gifts. Sometimes the value here at Exodus is we call serve and lead. The people serve and they lead in different areas. Now, we could talk about this for a long time, but, but the New Testament talks about all of us having gifts that God has given us, meaning talents, abilities, interests. God has wired all of us differently with those interests and abilities. And Scripture tells us that he did that for the purpose of us using them for God's glory. So, what is your plan for, for using those in 2013. Maybe the first plan is figure out what they are. And, and I'm going to share some ways with you. We'll send out an email this, this week that I have some links on it with some things, or you can come and talk to me or Matt or guys on our elder team, Brian and Jason. If you need to figure out what your spiritual gifts are before you can start exercising your spiritual gift, that's a great place to start. My point is you need a plan. You need a goal and you need a plan. For some of you, you know what they are, but, but maybe God's prompting you to, to, to use that spiritual gift. In, in an area here, maybe at Exodus, maybe, maybe it's, it's with our kids' ministry, maybe it's with up and down team, maybe it's showing leadership in some ministry that we don't, haven't even started because there's a lack of leadership. Maybe it's in the community. I don't know what that is, but I want to challenge you to figure it out and ask God, God, show me what that is. Then the fourth area I want to challenge you is to set a goal and make a plan for generosity. The value at Exodus that we call that is stretch beyond comfort. Now the reason that generosity is essential is because I believe generosity is God's way of battling greed within us. And our culture 
pushes and shoves greed on us all the time. You got to buy this. You got to upgrade that. You need one of these. You need a better this. You need a bigger. You need a newer. And they're like constantly bombarding us all the time with these things that, that we didn't even know that we needed or, or wanted or even existed until like it constantly pushes on us. Generosity is the thing that God gives us that, that short circuit and, and starts defeating and eating away at that greed that lives inside of us. The best money advice that I could ever give you is this, and it's going to sound way too simple for some of you to believe, but my wife and I have lived this way for 25 years of our marriage. If you take all your money and you give God the first 10%, give it to him, promise it to him. You take the second 10%, you save it for yourself, you put it away, retirement, bank account, and you live off of the rest of the 80. That is the best money advice that I could ever share with anyone. Because not only has it worked for me and my wife, but I know hundreds of other people who have lived that way. And if you live that way and you manage money that way, I believe it does a couple of things. One, it honors God. Two, you won't find yourself in debt. Three, you're not going to declare bankruptcy. And all of these are very practical ways of being generous with your money. And I think it eats away, it helps you eat away at the greed that our culture is constantly, constantly, constantly pushing on us. So my question for you is, do you have a plan and a goal for how to be generous this next year. And and when I say my goal, you might think, well, I don't know. I'm not, I can't really do that. I mean, I can't give that much money away or save that much money. But if you can't do that right now, what is your goal? Set a goal, make it, determine what it's going to be and work towards keeping it. Because if you don't have a plan, it's just a wish. And wishes don't usually come true because there's not a little tinkerbell going around with a magic wand making your wishes come true. And the reality is you'll be sitting in the same spot next year going, like, why didn't I do that? Why, why is it? Nothing really happened. Nothing really changed this year. Now, here's what I want you to do. I asked him to, to come up, and he's going to come up and play some music. I want to take about 45 seconds to a minute in each one of these areas, and I want to guide you through them. And I want you to ask God this question. God, in this area, what do you want me to do? What is my goal, and what is my plan? And I want you to just write down whatever comes to your mind. It's not right or wrong, but just fill that out below so that you can walk out of here and feel like I have some kind of plan for this next year. All right? So we're going to start on the first one. What is your goal and your plan for spiritual disciplines this year? Just quietly ask God and write down whatever comes to mind. What do you want to accomplish this year in spiritual disciplines? Bible reading, prayer, fasting, journaling, solitude, something simple, something attainable, something doable. What's it going to look like for you over the next 12 months? Let's go to community. Number two, what do you need to do? Ask God what you need to do to develop community in your life or to strengthen community 
in your life or to pour community into other people in your life. Maybe it's getting in a life group here at Exodus. Maybe it's starting a group. Maybe it's getting a group of friends. Maybe it's a Bible study at work. Maybe it's, I don't know what it looks like for you, but ask God, God, what do I want to accomplish? How do I need community? How can I grow? What is my goal and what is my plan? Take a few seconds and think about that and write down whatever God gives you. Number three, spiritual gifts. What's your goal and what's your plan for 2013? Ask God that question. Just listen to what he says. Maybe it is finding out what your spiritual gifts are. Maybe it's talking to somebody who knows you really well and saying, what kind of things am I good at? Maybe God's been putting something in the back of your head, a thing that, something you need to volunteer for or something you need to lead or a place that you drive by and you know it needs some help and God's been saying, why don't you stop and ask him if you can help or volunteer and, and you keep going, nah, they don't really need me. What is God laying on your heart so that you can use your spiritual gifts and you can release life in other people and do the things that you're good at and God has wired you and only you to do. And then number four, generosity. What's your goal and your plan this year with being generous? How does God want you to share the resources that he's given you? How does he want you to trust him that you're turning them over and and you're releasing them for his work? How does he want you to have some kind of regular plan of being generous? Not just sporadic or, you know, well, when I think about it or when I ever have too much, then I'll give some. I think being generous means coming up with a a goal and a plan and those small investments over time have an accumulative value and make a difference in your life and a difference in other people's lives. So think about that for a second and write down what God lays on your heart. What's your plan for the next 12 months in being generous? Now, I hope that you came up with a really cool 
plan and for 2013 that, that God would say, you know, you just put those little things into practice, put those little steps into practice, and it, it, you will walk and grow in your faith and you'll mature. But one of the things you might not do is you, you'll lose this piece of paper because that's what I would do. I would lose the piece of paper. So um, if you want to, it's just an idea. I take a picture of it with your camera on your phone because usually you'll, my wife doesn't know where her phone is, but usually most people know where your phone is. And so if you take a picture of it, then you'll always have it. And when you lose the paper, then it's no big deal because it's right there on your phone. Just trying to help, okay? Just, just saying. But uh, hopefully my goal is because as one of your pastors who love you and care about you, I want you to have a great 2013. And I think collectively, it excites me to think if all of us carried out the things that we have on this piece of paper, the difference that Christ would make in Bloomington and around the world would be significant deeply significant, not only in our lives, but in other people's lives, because we simply carried out this plan and this goal, and it wasn't just a wish, and we weren't sitting here next year going, oh, I should have done that, and I should have done this. It's a plan for growth. So let me say a prayer for you, and we wrap up our teaching time. Hey, God, I just now just pray for each one of those pieces of paper that are in this room, 125 of them or however many that is. And um, I pray for your blessing upon them. I pray for each person that they would uh, now be empowered by you to go out and just carry out that plan and just uh, work on their spiritual disciplines and, and Father, make those small investments of time that have an accumulative value, that they would get involved in community and other people and, and not only grow from that experience, but be able to bless other people in that experience, that they would use their spiritual gifts and serve and um, make a difference and use the, the things that you wired them to do and be able to contribute and give back. And Father, then they would be able to be generous and take the resources that are really yours that you give us and entrust to us. And we would steward them and entrust them back to you and then save some for ourselves and then live with the rest and have this margin in our lives where uh, we handle money in a way that's not in a crisis mode, but in a way that honors you. Bless this plan for each person. And Father, accumulatively, just bless it so that it makes a difference in this community in Bloomington, in this state, in our country, and even maybe to the far corners of the world. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for allowing us to work out our salvation, and thank you for being at work in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to move to a time of response.